right, let's get into God's Word this morning. We're in the book of James. We are in week number 15. Man, and you guys are still coming to church. We're in week 15 of the book of James. Our series is called Evidence. And the question that we asked before we came to meet outside when we were meeting online, the video would ask you a question. If you were put on trial for being a follower of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Last week we spoke of what is your life? And we spoke about the eternal and living in our temporary world, but living for the next life. And understanding the value of things, and then also understanding how much some of the things that we value don't really matter. And this kind of goes into it as, as we move into ch chapter 5, money being one of those big things. James chapter 5, this is not an easy topic. If we were not committed to preaching the Bible... This, these six verses, I'd be like, oh, we'll cover this in some other area, some other time. Um, oh, this is, this is not a Sunday morning, get everybody praising, worshiping, cheering, leaving today going, yes, I'm so glad I was at church today because we spoke of praising the Lord and we were in Psalms again. No, this is a different passage, but we are committed to preaching the whole counsel of God and so... Today, just buckle up. It's not bad. It's all good. Just buckle up, all right? Uh, James chapter 5. It's beginning in verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fatted your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you, or he cannot resist you. Money. We don't like to talk about money. The title of today's message is Momentary Money. Momentary Money. Money for a moment. Money for a moment. You say, Josh, are you here to preach against money? Absolutely not. Money is not the root of all evil. We know that. The, the verse clearly states that the love of money is the root of all evil. May I say this this morning so that we can even the playing field? I would present to you this morning that it is just as easy for poor people to love money as it is for rich people to love money. Can I present to you today that many poor people love money so much that they think having more of it is going to cure their problems? I would submit to you today that there are some people that have a lot of money who probably don't love their money as much because they've already figured out in their life that, hey, uh, as the great 
theologian, and I'm not sure which rapper specifically said it, mo money, mo problems, right? I didn't have all these issues when I didn't have money. I got money and now I got these issues. So money is a, is a universal issue. It's a universal uh, help. It's a universal problem. It's a universal um, luxury. It is also uh, has the potential to ruin. I think we all understand that. Today I want us to see what James says about money. You say, Josh, we talked last week and you mentioned last week that the dispersed Jews more than likely were not rich for the most part. And you're right. Um, doesn't mean some of them were not rich, but it also doesn't mean that James should not address the situation of money. Money issues are not just for people that have money. Money teaching and, and biblical teaching on money are for all of us that wouldn't fit that category. At the end of the day, and this morning, no matter what your checkbook, if you still have one of those, uh, no matter what your savings account, what your portfolio looks like this morning, or whether you're like, I don't even know what a portfolio, I can't even spell portfolio, um, whatever it is. No matter today, if you were to leave this earth and you would leave your family all your riches, or if you'd leave this earth and leave your family all your debt, right? At the end of the day, we need to understand biblical principles for money. You say, uh, Josh, this, is, this sounds a little bit like the book of Proverbs. Yes, it does. And remember, James is a lot like the New Testament Proverbs. And so today we're going to talk through this. We're going to speak about money. And, and at the end, I'm going to have uh, two or three volunteers to come up and, and give us a detailed uh, rundown of your current financial status. I'm not going to have you do that. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going to have you log into your online banking and then we'll read like what you spent your last 20 transactions on. Just kidding. But let's look at verse 1. And number 1, I want us to see this. The hoarding of momentary money. Hoarding. Uh, look, at, look at verse 1. Come now you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming up upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Now, this is not a text against saving money. Just like last week was not a text against planning for your future. It's not a text against saving money. However, this is a highlight of what living for money will look like. This is what living for money will look like. Make money. Spend money. Maybe save money. Make more money. Spend more money. Maybe save money. Make more money. Spend more money. Maybe save money. And before you know it, you have sold out and your life revolves around this cycle of making, spending, making, spending, making, spending. And currently we know money is the way that we operate and the way that we live our lives. But if we're not careful, we will begin living for money. I don't know about you, but I can look back and Sarah and I have been married now over 14 years. Married over 14 years and I can look back at what we used to make together combined when we got married. 
Lord help us. And 14 plus years later, where we're at, and I got to be honest, as our income grows, our spending grows, I can't lie to you today and say that we decided on this, this specific uh, way of life and now anything and everything we get above and beyond that goes directly into some sort of miraculous savings account. The truth is this morning, if we're not careful, like me, we'll just kind of, oh, we got a little bit more? Okay, we'll spend a little bit more. Oh, yeah, we got a little, okay, let's go ahead and do this a little bit more, or this a little bit more. But at the end of the day, if we are living for money, if we're living for money, we are living for just momentary money. Matthew 6, 24. This is the money passage. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This morning, we all have a choice to make. Those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus. We can either live for money, or we can live for God. We can either live this morning for money, or we can live for God. But we cannot this morning live for money at the same time living for God. It's impossible. Because God is our master. And what Matthew 6 tells us is if we live for money, money becomes our master. And we cannot live for both. Let's be honest this morning, it's nice to have money. But if our nice to have money is simply for a selfish desire, then it's not nice to have money. It's nice to have money to be able to see somebody out at dinner and take care of their bill. It's nice to have money to hear about a missions project and say, I'd like to become, be a part of that missions project. It's nice to have money to know of a friend or family member in need and you're able to meet that need. It's nice to have money. It sure is. But it's nice to have money in order to say, hey, this, this brother or sister is in need and I want to help take care of that. And what really shows your heart is when you're able to take care of it anonymously. Uh-oh. Hey, I just, Aaron, I just, let me, I know you're in need, man. Hey, I just wanted to make sure here. I, the Lord, you know what I could have done? I could have slipped that money in his Bible when he wasn't looking. And, and it doesn't have to be a check. It could have been cash. But we want to make sure we trace it, right? Make sure we can claim it on our taxes. Because we're giving. You can live for God or you can live for money. But you cannot serve God and money. And these people, James was saying, hey, listen, those of you that have money, you're hoarding it. You're keeping that money for the last day, for the last days. And you're hoarding that money. But look what he says secondly. He talks about the fraud of momentary money. Look at verse 4. Uh, look, at, look at verse 4 in the text, James chapter 5, verse 4. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. They are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord. Uh-oh. You know what living for money will cause you to do? Lie, cheat, 
and steal and fraud other people so that you can advance living for money. Specifically what it says here is that these people would hire people to work in their fields and that they would keep back the money that they had owed those people. Fraud. Fraudulently. They would keep back that money. And, he, and, and James simply says here, Hey, listen, the Lord's heard their cry. Beware. Beware. Hey, listen, beware when we, in serving money and giving our lives to money, begin to lie, cheat, and steal to continue to get more money. Be careful. Be very careful. Those who give their lives for money tend to have no problems mistreating other people or walking over other people in order to make more of that money. That is why when you go into the business world, what is the terminology that's often used? Hey, listen, this is business. This is cutthroat. And some of you that work in the business world, you understand what I mean. Hey, that person may be your friend. But at the end of the day, and this is the term, hey, this is business. Right? I mean, you're my friend, but this is business. And if we're not careful, we'll buy into the lie that, hey, it's money, it's business, this is cutthroat. And simply, when we serve money, we have no regard for others if we're not careful. And our regard is simply to take the next step on that ladder without care or concern about those that we're stepping on to climb that ladder. You've heard that, right? There are two ways to climb the corporate ladder. You can step on people and climb above them, or you can push people up that are above you. And as you push them up, you will climb. There's two different ways of climbing that ladder. So if you serve and you live your life for this momentary money, you hoard it, you defraud other people if you're not careful. Living life, not caring. But look at verse 5. The self-indulgence mm, with momentary money. The self-indulgence. Look at verse 5. It says this. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. If I were to ask you the question that we asked in our connect groups a couple weeks ago, do you think that you are wealthy or that you are rich? The answer is kind of a difficult one because really the, the question is, well, compared to who? We could look at the median income of whatever county, if you live in Durham County, of Durham County. And we could say the median income in Durham County is this, and you make about that. So are you wealthy? Nah. Not really, not compared to culture or society. Nope. However, something Amer the American church needs to do quite often, if we will remove ourselves from our church and our, and our current American culture, and we will realize the poverty that is globally. Every single person who lives in this country, by comparison, globally, is rich. Is rich. If you've ever been to a third world developing country, and you've seen the way that they live and they operate, and, and just how little they seemingly can get by with, it really puts in perspective just how rich and just how wealthy 
We are. My dad used to say this. We would go to southern India. And I remember going as a teenager, as about a 12 or 13 year old, and seeing things I'd never seen before. And I remember my dad telling me, and he would say this publicly, America is the only place where its poor people are fat. I don't mean that any kind of a joke. America is the only country where its poor people can also be fat. And as we would go to southern India, and by the way, don't get northern India and southern India confused. Basically two different countries. As you go to southern India and there'd be little children with no clothes on, on the side of the road and their stomach, yeah, they're fat because their stomach is starting to swell. That's poor. Yeah, you can see the rib cage. You see, we live in America and we are very, very privileged in America. Today we are driving to Michigan and we bought a new vehicle and we are going to drive to Michigan compared to the rest of this world in absolute luxury. And may I say this? You may not have a brand new vehicle, but whatever you get into in that parking lot and you drive home in today, you are driving home in comparison to the rest of the world, you are driving home in absolute luxury. You say, my house is modest and there's not a bunch of upgrades and we have an older house and, you know, it doesn't look like, you know, some of those houses that you see on TV that have been flipped and stuff. And, you know, we just have, you know, we just do what we can with what we got. Realize this, that today in comparison to the, to the globe, you are going to go home and you are going to reside in your mansion. Comparatively speaking. The self-indulgence. And if we're not careful in America, and, and listen to me, I understand uh, that, we, that we can live in our culture. I understand that God has blessed our, 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 our culture, and I understand that. But this morning, may we guard against just living a pampered life that is seemingly free of any kind of care for those that are around us or the things that are going on around us because we are comfortable in our culture. We're comfortable in our vehicles and we're comfortable in our cuisine and we're comfortable in our housing. And if we're not careful, we just become self-indulgent. If you think of the term self-indulgent, I think of being taken in pleasure, just whatever you want to do. I actually think of the prodigal son. I think of the prodigal son who wanted his money early to indulge himself. And what did he do? He takes his money in self-indulgence and he goes and he spends it on whatever he wanted to spend it on. The parties, the friends, living it up. How many of you understand when you got money, you oftentimes have friends? How many of you understand when you ain't got no more money, the friends come a little bit more difficult to find. My dad, uh, he worked hard, and <laughs> if I've heard this once, I've heard it a million times. He started working at the grocery store when he was 12 years old. All right, so, but my dad bought his own car, and he was that kind of guy, right? 16, he had his own car, and he's like, man, I was so popular. And then people always want to ride to this and ride to that and do this or that. And he's like, I used to love it. When we would go out for a night, we'd be hanging out, driving around. He's like, all of a sudden, I just pull up to the gas station. I pull up right next to the gas pump, and I just sit there. 
And people would be like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just waiting for one of y'all to go put gas in the car. Isn't it funny that while we have money, it seems like we got friends. When you become an asset for your friends, they love you. When you become a liability for your friends, they stop calling sometimes. Listen, we self-indulge. We self-indulge, and if we're not careful, hey, we'll live the lakefront life. We'll live the beachfront life, and believe me, I love going to the beach. I'm not much of a lake guy, but I love going to the beach. I love, you know, my family getting to get in the water and get sand everywhere. I love sitting in my chair underneath my tent that's similar to this, not getting any sun, and sitting there for hours on end. I love that. There's a time for that. But may we understand, right, every time we indulge in that, may we at least, at the very least, have a comprehension that somewhere on this earth there is someone who wishes and begs and dreams of being able to hop in a vehicle and drive to Wrightsville Beach on a Saturday and be home by dark. We live in an amazing place. There are people that, that, that just wish they could hop in the car and drive to Boone in the fall and look at the, look at the leaves and be back for bed that night. And may we, maybe today, may we just at the very least understand our privilege in America. May we at the very least today, at the very least when we hop in that car and we fire it up and it comes right on and we're like, oh, I need to put gas in my car and we don't think twice. Just go swipe the card, put the gas in. May we at least understand today that if we're not careful, we can move into just living a life of pleasure. Lastly, man, James goes pretty, pretty hard here in verse 6. The murder with momentary money. Some of you killing people. I'm just kidding. That's not what I'm talking about. All right. Some of you here, and we're going, hey, listen, we're having an invitation. And those of you who've been killing people, we're, I need you to come forward. No, that's not what I mean. Look at verse 6. Let's, let's, let's read it, and then we'll talk about the context, obviously, which we always do. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not, or he cannot resist you this isn't a gun to your head i'm about to kill you type of murder this is referring to a judicial murder kent hughes uh, wrote a, an incredible commentary on the book of james and he says this is referring to more of a judicial murder primarily of taking away the means of someone else to make a living of their own this murder is more of a removing the rights of the poor or removing the opportunities of the poor to make money. Basically, murdering their opportunities. Killing their dreams. And James addresses a, a system even back in that day that was put in place to give more power to the rich and to give less power to the poor. And, and by the way... That's a reality that we live in. That's a reality that we live in. And we must understand that reality. We must understand that the person who owns the property has worked and has, and has built and has gotten to that point and the person who pays rent at that property is kind of at the mercy a little bit of the person who owns it. I, Let's be, we can be realistic. Hey, um, 
the talents, the one talent, the two talent, the five talent. The five talent made it ten. The one talent buried it. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that story? Five talent made it ten. Was a businessman. Made money. The one talent was scared. Buried it in the ground. Okay? The Lord comes and rebukes the man who buried the one talent. Don't forget this. What does he then tell the person with one talent that he's got to do? Do you remember? you got to give your talent to the man with ten talents. We don't want to hear that. It was just simply an illustration. But that's kind of a, a reality. But here as believers, okay? As believers, we must understand this. We must commit to not killing the dreams and the opportunities of the poor. We must commit as believers and lovers and followers of Jesus that we will help, nurture, provide opportunity for, come alongside of those who are less fortunate. That we maybe we won't fight the system with our fist or fight the system with angry language, but we will fight the system in generosity or we'll fight the system in love. We'll fight the system in care for our fellow man. That we will not be one who would murder the righteous man. I love how James calls the poor the righteous man. The righteous man. And the rich, if we're not careful, those with money won't have a problem killing the dreams and the opportunities of those who don't have money. But we know as believers that we're called to love. We're called to bless. James chapter 1, verse 27, pure religion. We're called to take care of the fatherless and the widows and those in need. We must take great care as followers of Jesus to not harm the poor, but rather to value them, to lift them up, to lovingly support them. It kind of looks like not hoarding your money, number one. It kind of looks like not defrauding people. It kind of looks like not just living a life for your luxury and for your ease. And it kind of looks like not killing the dreams and opportunities of the poor. That kind of reminds me of being a Christian. That kind of reminds me of following Jesus with your life. That kind of reminds me of grace. That kind of reminds me of mercy. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think that verse 21, because I do quote it quite often, I believe it's the most convicting verse of Scripture for me in the Bible. I think where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I, I so want it to say, what your heart cares about, there, there's where your treasure will go. But it's almost like, hey, 
you can go ahead and look at where your treasure's going, and it's already telling you where your heart is. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, remember our beginning? That's all of us. Compared to the world, that's every one of us. Okay? As for the rich, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Boy, if that ain't the truth. So do not be haughty. Do not set your hopes on the uncertainty of money, of riches, but on, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, those with money. They're to do good, verse 18, but to be rich in works. Those with money... They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Oh my goodness. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Get your app. Get your Bible, please. I want you to see this. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Get it. I want you, I want you to, to visualize. I'm going to read it again. This is so key when we speak of the momentary money. Verse 17 in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age... As for Americans in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Ask anyone who's, had a, who's gone into an investment and it didn't work out. The uncertainty of riches. So don't set your hopes on those, but on God. And this is what God does. God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They, the rich, they are to do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is an incredibly important passage of Scripture. It may be a passage of Scripture you need to notate, mark, and revisit. If we're not careful, we'll work, we'll spend, we'll save, we'll retire, we'll die. It's the circle of life. It's what it is. 
Work. Avery, did you like that? All right, cool. Work, spend, save, retire, die. Say, Josh, are you against people putting money aside for their family? No, I hope my family does it. I'm not going to lie. I'm not against it. I think it's great. However, we must be rich in good works. We must be generous and ready to share. We must store up treasure in heaven. Along the path, if we're not careful, we will lose sight in our money of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we're not careful, and I'm done, we will begin, oftentimes subconsciously, ignoring and mistreating the less fortunate and the poor. And we'll become comfortable in our momentary money. Our money becomes our safety net. It becomes our security. And we'll step on those and defraud those who are underneath us economically. Oftentimes not even realizing that we're doing so. We'll live in self-indulgence and comfort. And we'll live our lives with no thought for the poor and for those less fortunate. But the gospel calls us to something different. Say, Josh, what does the gospel have to do with money? You see, in the gospel, we are the poor. We are the victim. We are those that stand in most need. But then the richest of the rich turned his eyes to the poorest of the poor. That's the gospel. The richest of the rich turned his eyes on the poorest of the poor and loved. And didn't love just in word, but loved in action. He demonstrated his love toward us, the poor. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, how does this play out in the gospel? You and I were the poorest of the poor of the poor. And the richest, the one who owns it all and owns everything that all is about. He came. He saw. He had compassion. And he died. The rich for the poor. Just so we would be able to identify with our Savior, the richest of the rich came as the poor. Born in a barn. The son of a carpenter instead of the son of a prince. And he lived. And he died. And he was buried. And he rose again. For you. And for me. So how does the gospel play into this? Oh, it's simple. We were the poor, and we wanted to be treated by the rich. We wanted the grace and the love and the mercy of the rich. Can I say this? If you've never experienced that, today you can experience the richest of the rich, Jesus Christ, giving you and I, the poorest of the poor, eternal life. And practically believers, 
the same richness that we wanted spiritually from Jesus Christ the day that we repented of our sins and believed the gospel, in a very practical sense, can we think about that when we see the poor and just help and just love and just care for and just serve and just bless? We're going we're gonna to tell you about some cookout nights that we have to sign up for afterwards tonight, but in between the two cookout weeks, we have a week that we met with Chris and Aaron. We were going through some of this, and we have a week, and you know what it's going to be called? Love Your Neighbor Week. Love Your Neighbor Week. You say, what does that mean, Josh? It means find a neighbor. It doesn't have to be a next-door neighbor. Find a neighbor and do something for them that week. You say, I've got the money. Okay, well, buy them a gift card and put it in a nice envelope and put a nice letter in it and take it to them. You say, I don't have money. Okay, cool. Go over to someone's house and mow their grass for them that week. Go over and uh, drop off note, uh, if, if y'all are okay with this, was something that they did. I won't even tell the whole thing. But they wrote handwritten letters to all of those in the, in the part of their street. Some of them they knew and some of them they had never met before. And just dropped off. We're going to have a week where we do that. You know what it is? It's an opportunity for the spiritually rich, as we have been given in the book of Ephesians, just to love on some that may be very spiritually poor. Hey, it's maybe even an opportunity for those of us that are monetarily rich to love on someone that's monetarily poor. It's called living like Jesus. It's called living for the eternal and not for the momentary. Heavenly Father, be with us. God, we love you today. God, I pray that you would hurt, that you would pierce our hearts, God. If it means hurting us, hurt us so that we see things through the lens that you see them. God, help us to understand the financial and the tangible blessings that we all have just because we happen to live in the part of the world we live in. God, help us not to live for money. God, help us not to serve money, for we cannot serve you, God, and also serve money. God, if you've blessed us with money, may we use that money properly. May we be wise with that money. But may we be known for doing good. May we be known for the good works. May we be known for the love and the compassion that we're able to share. Ultimately, Jesus, thank you. The Son of God. It doesn't get any richer than that. Coming to the poorest of the poor. Me. And giving your life for me. What an example. What an example. If you're here today and you don't know that Jesus, I'd love to introduce you to him. After the service today, I'll be around and I would love to open my Bible and show you what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. There's no life like it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening today. 
you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the Gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and all around the world. Visit keystonerdu.church to get involved.